everyone. Welcome to this week's chapter by chapter recap. If you don't know, my name is Corey. I'm here with my husband, Matt Law. Hey, Matt Law. Hey. 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 All right. So today our assigned scripture reading was from 2 Chronicles chapter 10 to Ezra chapter 4. So those are the chapters of the Bible that we will be looking at today. So we're starting in 2 Chronicles 10. And this 2 Chronicles, uh, first and 2 Chronicles, are essentially a retelling of the history of the kings. So what we read about in First and 2 Kings and even in Samuel a little bit. Um, and the reason for this retelling is it's happening later on in Israel's history. So Israel has Israel and Judah have already been exiled. You know, Jerusalem has been destroyed by the Babylon by the Babylonians and now the exiles have returned and this is a retelling of the history of the kings for that time period for this group of people. So we are going to be taking a look at chapter 10 to start, and this lands us with King Rehoboam. So this is David's grandson. It's Solomon's son. So the Israelites go to, <laughs> Matt Luck is laughing, everyone. He's making me laugh. I'm just going to go with this. Yeah. A bird has gotten into our studio. So if you see a little a little blackbird flying around, <laughs> that's what's going on. Matt Luck's cracking up over here yeah. as we're trying to do the recap stuff. So. <laughs> I'm writing, yeah, because yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, there. I can't hold it back. Yeah, that's good. All right, rainbow. Yeah, I'm glad you glad you got that off off the table. <laughs> yeah, I was no, like, we, I can't hide this. We can't hide <laughs> it's it. It's a I bird flying over I my head. I kind of hope that he yeah. joins us and, and that'd be nice and, and hangs out yeah, a little bit. But we'll see. Nice. We'll see how it goes. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Israel goes to the city of Shechem to make Rehoboam king. And remember, Shechem is a really important city because this, back in Joshua and back in Deuteronomy, was the place of uh, where the Israelites renewed the covenant with God. So this is where Mount Ebal is and where Mount Gerizim is. So um, when Israel goes to Shechem to make Rehoboam king, Jeroboam, the man Jeroboam hears about this. Now, if you don't remember who Jeroboam is, at the end of King Solomon's reign, so Rehoboam's father, the Israelites were really unhappy with Solomon. Not only was he drifting off into full-blown apostasy against God by building pagan temples and all of that nonsense, but he had also put a really heavy burden on the Israelites themselves for all of his building projects. So they had to, they had regular conscripted labor that they all had to do, so forced labor. And an overseer of this forced labor named Jeroboam had become a revolutionary figure uh, that he was trying to lead the Israelites essentially against Solomon to get relief from their forced labor. And, uh, and a prophet of God, a legitimate prophet of God, had anointed Jeroboam as as, you know, a, a king who was going to tear part of the kingdom away from David's descendants and from Solomon. When Solomon caught wind of this, he tried to have Jeroboam murdered. So Jeroboam had fled to Egypt. And so now Solomon is dead. Rehoboam, his son, has become king. And Jeroboam catches wind that all of this is going on. So when... Uh, 
uh, when the people are assembled with Rehoboam, they ask Rehoboam to relieve this burden of forced labor that Solomon had imposed on them. And when Rehoboam refuses to do this, he's like, he doubles down on it. He says, you know, essentially, no, I'm not going to be an easier king than my father. I'm going to be a harder king than my father. I'm going to make this kingdom even better. Uh, and so most of the kingdom decides that they're actually going to make Jeroboam their king and they leave Rehoboam in the dust. So the kingdom splits under Rehoboam. That all happens in Second Chronicles chapter 10. Second Chronicles chapter 11, Rehoboam has to decide what he's going to do here. He decides that he's going to put his money where his mouth is and be a tougher king than his father was. And so he decides that he is going to march against, in, in warfare, against the, the tribes who left him. Um, so Judah, the, the tribe of Judah, which is Rehoboam's family tribe, stays with him as king and part of the tribe of Benjamin as well. So as Rehoboam and uh, the people who are faithful to David's line march out against the tribes, uh, the other tribes of Israel, a prophet of God tells them to stop and they do. So Rehoboam decides not to fight for his kingship in that way, but instead he turns and begins to fortify cities within the territory that he does have. Uh, so he's thinking about warfare. He's thinking, you know, we don't have a lot of people now, so now we have to be a really built-up nation. We're told that the priests and the Levites of Israel stayed faithful to uh, Judah and the and the line of David, so Rehoboam as king. And there's even a note that's given to us that a lot of the Levites left, they abandoned their land, their pasture land for their animals and their Levitical cities that were spread throughout Israel because they didn't want to be in Jeroboam's territory. They wanted to be in Judah's territory, mm. in Rehoboam's territory. And this is essentially because um, Jeroboam institutes a false worship system in Northern Israel that a lot of the faithful Levites who are faithful to God, they don't want to be a part of that. Hmm. Okay. So, um, Oh, we also learn that in Rehoboam's family, just a quick note that Rehoboam's son, who is the crowned prince of Israel at this point or of Judah at this point was actually the grandson of Absalom. Okay. David's son, Absalom, right. who had launched the rebellion. Um, so Absalom, even though he did a bad thing for what he thought were good reasons, he does get a descendant eventually on the throne of, Israel, mm. of Judah. Okay, chapter 12, we'll start to move a little bit more quickly. Um, we're told that Rehoboam is also unfaithful to God, unfortunately, just like Solomon was. Um, and we're told that Shishak, the king of Egypt, so the pharaoh, attacks Jerusalem in Rehoboam's fifth, fifth year. He captures all those fortified cities that Rehoboam tried to build up, and he comes to Jerusalem. And we're told that God does save uh, Rehoboam. Rehoboam doesn't lose his life. He doesn't go into exile or anything like that. But Rehoboam and Judah become a vassal state of Egypt for a time um, so that Rehoboam could see what serving an evil master or a human master was like rather than serving God. So essentially God's like, Oh, you don't like serving me? Try this. Right. Try a human ruler. Right. So this is the kind of spiritual commentary and focus that we get out of Chronicles. Right. Which makes a lot of sense because these are people trying to figure out how 
being so small, this remnant of Israel coming back from Babylon, being so small, how they could possibly survive as a renewed nation mm-hmm. in hostile territory. Okay, so Second uh, Chronicles chapter 13. So this is, we're moving on to the next king of Judah, which is Abijah. This is that son of Rehoboam, the grandson of Solomon. We are told of a battle between Abijah and Jeroboam of Israel. So the peace between Israel and Judah did not last. Uh, God enables Abijah and his smaller military force to defeat Jeroboam, uh, even though he's outnumbered and ambushed. Mm -hmm. And there's a theological reason that's given here for this, that Israel under King Jeroboam had sinned against God by abandoning God and going after idols, like trying to replace God Mm -hmm. with these calf idols, while Judah had kept temple worship intact. So again, this is really important. This this instance between Abijah and Jeroboam is not recorded in the history of 1st and 2nd Kings, but it is recorded here in 2nd Chronicles because this audience is concerned about those same things. Mm -hmm. So essentially the author is pointing out, look, if we, even if we're not perfect, if we stay true to God in the temple worship that he has ordained for us, he is going to protect us even if we're ambushed, even if we're outnumbered. Right. I think he even says later on on this chapter, but if you, if we forsake God, he will forsake us. Yes. Yeah. It becomes a theme from this point onwards. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so chapter 14, um, after Abijah dies, his son Asa takes the throne. And Asa, uh, who is, I believe, the sixth king of Israel, he's only the third king of the split kingdom of Judah, but he is a very good king. He cleanses Judah from all of the apostasy and the idol worship, tearing down cult sites and whatnot throughout his kingdom. And we're told that God gives Asa peace in terms of military battles from enemies kind of attacking Judah. And he he's able to rebuild all of those fortified cities of Judah once again. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 15, um, still with Asa, this good king of Judah. In chapter 15, we're given details of Asa's massive religious reforms, and it's throughout his entire territory. So even the cities that he captures in war, Asa makes sure to tear down any cult centers or high places. And we're told that he even repairs the altar of the temple of God in Jerusalem. At this point, um, we're told that a lot of people from northern Israel began to defect from northern Israel and join up with southern Judah because they're seeing Asa's success and that how this is clearly a God-given success, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as he moves forward. So Asa gathers an assembly uh, of all of his people and he renews a covenant between the people and God to follow only God. Mm. So this is an essential part of reformer kings that we're going to see where they don't just go through the land and cleanse the land. They do that, but then they recommit the people. They get that generation of people to make a covenant with God. All right. Chapter 16. Uh, This talks about how um, 
peace between Israel and Judah was broken, or the peace of Judah ended up being broken. So we're told that Basha, the king of Israel, so Jeroboam's gone now and Basha's on the throne of Israel, he fortifies a city called Ramah, which is a, it's a border city between Judah's territory and Israel's territory. It's along a major highway. It's a really important place. And so Basha did this so that he would be able to control the flow of trade, the flow of goods, the flow of people, both Israelites and Judeans, between the two countries. We're also told that um, Asa, excuse me, uh, he he was able to purchase a friendship with Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, who had been in treaty with Israel. Uh, he, he paid him off, essentially, to backstab Israel and their king Basha because Basha was, that, that act of fortifying Rama was, uh, was the precursor to a declaration of war against mm-hmm. Judah. And um, Asa knew it. Mm-hmm. So he paid a friend of northern Israel to backstab them in order to get their attention turned away from Judah. And it did work. However, however, Asa does get in trouble for this whole thing by a prophet of God named Hanani. Um, and the, the prophet essentially says to him, you shouldn't have made an alliance with your enemy, Aram. You should have trusted in God because God would have allowed you to, to defeat not only Israel, but also Aram as well. But now there's going to be war because you've meddled into these politics. Mm. So though Asa was a good king, he he uh, he played a little bit dirty and he got in trouble for it. Yeah. Okay, chapter 17, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Here is another good king. We're getting we're getting some pretty good kings <laughs> as we go go through this history of Judah. Um Jehoshaphat does a lot of good, humanly speaking, in terms of preparing Judah for warfare, uh, both physically and spiritually. So he establishes fortified cities. He establishes his military really well, but he also was very devoted to God. He removed all of the high places that were that had escaped Asa's religious reforms. He sends a team of Levites and priests throughout Judah to teach people the book of the law of God, which is a very cool idea. Mm-hmm. This traveling teaching band of yeah, Levites and priests. Um, Jehoshaphat became really powerful and he became very loved by his people and even was able to make peace treaties with some foreign nations. In chapter 18, we're told that Jehoshaphat um, made a peace treaty with northern Israel, which seems like a good idea, except it was sealed uh, the way a lot of ancient peace treaties were, which was with a royal marriage. So Jehoshaphat... Uh, and Ahab and Jezebel in northern Israel make this peace treaty, and Ahab and Jezebel's daughter marries into Jehoshaphat's family, so marries the crowned prince, his son uh, of Israel. Um, Jehoshaphat does uh, end up getting in trouble by the prophets for making this alliance with Ahab and Jezebel. Um, But we see how Jehoshaphat stays faithful, even though he is in an alliance with Ahab and Jezebel. They go to war, for example. Um, uh, You know, Jehoshaphat and Ahab have to go to war. And Jehoshaphat's the only one who's like, no, before we go, 
we need to hear from a prophet of God. Uh, and so there's some really interesting battle stories that happen yeah. with that prophet of God that are in chapter 18. Chapter 19, when Jehoshaphat returns from war to Jerusalem, um, there's Jehu, the prophet, comes to him and tells Jehoshaphat that God's wrath is on Jehoshaphat for his alliance with Ahab and Jezebel, but hope is not lost. Like there's, you know, Jehoshaphat, you still still followed God. Uh, he still appointed godly judges in Judah, and there's a priestly system of judges in Jerusalem. So he it wasn't going to go perfectly for Jehoshaphat. He wasn't going to escape without consequences, essentially, for making this ungodly alliance. But because he was trying to be faithful, it wasn't going to be the end of the world. Mm -hmm. Chapter 20. All right. So three enemy nations come to attack Judah. The Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites. And Jehoshaphat leads his nation in praying and petitioning God. It's a good response mm -hmm. from Jehoshaphat. And the reply comes from God that the Judeans are not going to have to fight, but they are going to have to march out and meet this army that's much bigger than them. Uh, when Judah gets to the battlefield, all they find are dead bodies. A battle has already been fought between the three enemy nations that were, were allied against Judah. Something has happened where they've begun to fight among themselves. Mm. What's really interesting is that the entire way to the battlefield, we're told that the Levites led the Judean soldiers singing praises yes. to God, which yeah. is a very cool concept. Yeah, it is. That normally the sounds of soldiers marching to battle would have been the bells on the horses, the clinking of the armor, the stamping of the feet. But to this was added singing. Right. Which is very cool. Yeah. Okay, chapter 21, we're given the account of King Jehoshaphat's death and that his son Jehoram became king. Um, so Jehoram takes the throne. Jehoram is is, uh, you know, he is married to Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, and he is evil, <laughs> uh, which is not great. No. He has all of his brothers killed when he takes the throne. He doesn't mm. want anyone left who could challenge his authority to the throne. He even has some officials killed who were um, loyal to his father. Right. Um, we're told that Jehoram then almost died in a battle with the Edomites, but he escaped in a chariot, like very narrowly. Right. Um, we're told that he was an active idolater and promoted idol worship in Judah. He gets a letter from Elijah the prophet telling him that God is going to strike Judah and that Jehoram is going to get a bowel disease that he's going to die from. Um, we see, <clears throat> we see enemies coming against Judah in this time period. It's really, it's really, really not good. Um, and these enemies coming against Judah, they manage, we're not told whether it's by force or like whether they actually 
managed to breach through the walls of Jerusalem or whether Jehoram has to pay off these enemies that are um, coming into besiege Jerusalem, but that these enemies succeed in getting all of the palace treasures and um, the king's family from Jerusalem, which is a huge humiliation for Judah, killing all the sons except for Ahaziah, the youngest one. uh, Chapter 21, talking about Jehoram's death, even says he, when he dies, he dies to no one's regret. Right. And was not buried in the king's tombs. And no fire was burned in his honor. So it was tradition to have a big fire in the king's honor with spices and bury him in the tombs. No, no one liked this guy. Yeah. Okay, chapter 22, Ahaziah, the king of Judah. This is the son of Jehoram and Athaliah. So this is the grandson, not only of Jehoshaphat, but also of Ahab and Jezebel. Um, Ahaziah, king Ahaziah's advisors were his mother, Athaliah, and her Israelite officials. So this is a northern Israelite-controlled king of Jerusalem mm. and Judah, which this is how you know it's not going to be good. Because yeah. Ahab and Jezebel are really <clears throat> established an evil dynasty. Okay. Yeah. So um, he ends up being, Ahaziah ends up being killed by Jehu in a coup against the dynasty of Ahab. When he is killed, the queen mother Athaliah goes nuts and she kills all of her grandsons so that there's no one who can claim the throne and she can take the power herself. So she becomes the sole ruler of Jerusalem at this point, except one of the children was, there there would have been multiple children, Mm -hmm. many. Um, One of the sons uh, of of her uh, son was whisked away mm-hmm. and hid by a relative and was hid by the priest, uh, by one of the priests in the temple. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to think that this all is essentially a dominoes effect. Yeah. It's, and it started with Jehoshaphat's presumable desire to unite Israel and Judah again with his marriage covenant that he, mm-hmm. that he has there. So he's like longing for this, Davidic dynasty to return in some sense. Yes. Um, but it was a false unity. Yeah. It was it was a political unity that he was striving for. Mm-hmm. And he's thinking that well, that's part of God's plan. And maybe it is, but not through these means. Yeah. Right? He's, he's looking at the end and not at the means by which you get there. And uh, it just ended up being a huge blunder for the next generation and next generation. It went so, so poorly. Yeah. And so we see this. So the person who rescued this boy who this this child his mm. name was Joash i was a baby at this point the woman who rescued him was a, was a royal family member her name was Joshua but she was married to the high priest Jehoiada mm. so it ends up being this priestly couple that saves the line of David yeah. and this little boy grows up in the temple hidden away for six years. So they would have just pretended he was a Levite working in the temple. Yeah. So very much, uh, very reminiscent of Samuel. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. So six years go by mm-hmm. and then that brings us to a second Chronicles chapter three. So 23. Yes. Yeah, sorry. 23. Yeah, yeah, backtracking. We're, yeah. we're not going back. <laughs> we're going forward one. Yeah. So, I think it's really telling. Verse one says, in the seventh year, Jehoiada, 
that's the priest, Jehoiada showed his strength. Um, So Jehoiada the priest makes a deal with the military commanders of Judah and with the Levites that they're going to put this boy Joash on the throne. And we learned that Jehoiada will essentially be the co-king. He's going to, because this boy is so young. Yeah. So he's going to rule for the boy Joash until he's old enough, essentially, Mm -hmm. and transfer over the power. So they do this. They kill Queen Athalia and all of her loyal officials. And Jehoiada makes a covenant uh, with the people that they're all going to serve God and no longer the idols of northern Israel. So he, he also has a temple of Baal torn down that's been built in Jerusalem and, and has its priest executed as well. So chapter 24 then, Joash becomes the official king of Jerusalem, sort of. Right. He's the king in name, but Jehoiada the high priest is the acting king of Israel. Uh, we're told in this chapter that Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord while Jehoiada was alive. Hmm. Jehoiada um, arranged Joash's marriage. He arranged, uh, and he arranges everything. So we see Jehoiada having this kingly power. Okay, so we have Joash commanding for the temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem, which is great. Um, we're given really a slice of the priest Jehoiada's power in the record of his death, which is in verses 14 and 15, it says this, as long as Jehoiada lived, burnt offerings were presented continually in the temple of the Lord. Now Jehoiada was old and full of years and he died at the age of 130. He was buried with the kings in the city of David because of the good he had done in Israel for God and his temple. Hmm. So Jehoiada was accepted as a priest king. Right. Buried with David and all of that. Uh, let's see. So after Jehoiada's death, unfortunately, Joash decides to side with the officials in Judah who were idolatrous. So he gets some bad advice that he begins to follow. And Judah begins to abandon temple worship and integrate idols once again. So back into this cycle, God sends prophets to prophesy, but they don't listen. Um, God calls Jehoiada's son, the high priest's son, Zechariah, to prophesy against the people and the king. This would have been extremely dangerous to do because Jehoiada was treated as a king Mm -hmm. and he was married to a princess of Judah. To, mm-hmm. an, to a descendant of David. Yeah. So this means that Zechariah, Jehoiada's son, not only had David's royal blood flowing through his veins, but he had the history of his father acting as king and being buried with the kings. Right. So even though Zechariah was called by God to go and prophesy against the people and the king, it absolutely would have been interpreted as a power move. Yeah, but total political power You are yeah. trying to take the throne. You are yeah. trying to take the people. And, of course, Joash takes it that way and has Zechariah killed. He has him stoned. Mm. So this apostasy then is given as an explanation for why the enemies, the Arameans, with an inferior army force, was able to win a war against Judah. 
So see here, this theme in, in Chronicles is when you're unfaithful to God, bad things are going to happen. Even though you should be strong enough to put down an enemy force, you're not going to be able to. But when you're faithful to God, even when you're outnumbered, God is going to miraculously save you and help you to survive. Chapter 25, we're told about Amaziah, the king of Judah. He's just okay. He does what's right in God's eyes, but not wholeheartedly. In fact, he he even brings back um, some idols to Judah from a war against Edom. So it's not, it's not great. Um, at this point in Judah's history, there's a war with Israel, and Israel tears down Jerusalem's walls. So he's just okay. He does what's right, but also what's bad at the same time. Amaziah gets murdered by his own officials when he starts going off into the Mm -hmm. idolatry because they've just gotten out of this whole Athalia business, Joash business, and they're not having any of this. So Amaziah is murdered by his officials. His son Uzziah, who is 16, this is chapter 26, he comes to the throne He is a pretty good king. He tries to follow God. He has a very long reign. He rules for 52 years. We're told that he's very humanly successful. He um, is successful in various wars. He does really interesting things. He experiments with uh, military technology. He builds towers and walls. And um, he really focuses on agriculture and farming. Really, really interesting guy. Uh, he he gets a little prideful in his old age and ends up getting struck with leprosy. Uh, so he, he also has a little bit of a fall off at the end of his life, but he still tries to stay faithful to God. And at the end of his reign, at the end of Uzziah's reign, when Uzziah dies, this is when the prophet Isaiah begins to enter the picture, just for your own interest. Chapter 27, this is Uzziah's son, Jotham, as king of Judah and Jerusalem. He was a faithful king to God. He continues the work of his father Uzziah in building up Judah. Mm -hmm. Um, And he is also a pretty successful king, humanly speaking. In chapter 28, we have King Ahaz of Judah and Jerusalem. This was a very bad king. He shows up in the book of Isaiah later on quite a lot. He worshiped Baals. He sacrificed his children to foreign gods. Like just, just bad, just a bad guy. Um, you know, he he messes up the, the temple worship system in Judah and he just gets worse and worse and worse. And his situation uh, militarily also gets worse and yeah. worse and worse. And Judah really shrinks. Chapter 29, we have Ahaz's son, Hezekiah. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm just going to take a sip of my tea. Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a good king. He listens To the prophets of God, he appears in the book of Isaiah quite frequently. He repairs the temple of Jerusalem. He reinstates true worship. He he makes that covenant that we're talking about. Not only does he reform worship practices, but he gets the people to renew the covenant with God. In chapter 30, he has this huge Passover celebration in Jerusalem that he invites people not only from Judah, but also from Northern Israel that during his reign, Northern Israel falls to Assyria, to the Assyrian empire. So he invites people up North. He invites people from um, across the Jordan river, come and celebrate Passover in chapter 31. 
from this Passover, the people have been reinvigorated. They have been inspired by Hezekiah's faithfulness to God and by this new covenant to go out into their towns and smash all of the idols that they can find and tear down high places. Um, and we see Hezekiah reestablishing the Levitical order, making sure that Levites have jobs, that they have support, that they can do the work that God has called them to do. In chapter 32, we begin to see why Hezekiah has been making all of these um, reforms to the people, why he wants them to be rededicated to God. And that is because the Assyrian Empire is marching on Judah now. So Hezekiah wanted to get them spiritually established before this happened. Right. Hezekiah knows that Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, is coming for Jerusalem, and the Assyrian army is massive. And so all of these Judean fortified cities are falling to Assyria. Um, And we see Hezekiah making all these really interesting preparations. He supplies a water source for Jerusalem. He tries to stop up any outside of the city water sources so that It's going to make it really difficult to the Assyrian army coming in. Um, When, okay, so it gets down to the wire and all the fortified cities of Judah are taken and Sennacherib sends this really mocking letter and all of these mocking military officials to Hezekiah to begin speaking to the people. And Hezekiah teams up with the prophet Isaiah and they begin to cry out to God together And we're told that the angel of the Lord goes out and defeats the Assyrian army, um, which historians guess plague. Like, did, did God send a plague among them? What happened? We don't know. But the Assyrians end up leaving. They are not able to fully destroy Judah and Jerusalem. And, and that's, and that's that. They survive. Yeah. They survive. <laughs> yeah. really... Okay, chapter 33, Manasseh's, uh, Hezekiah's son Manasseh did not buy what his father Hezekiah was selling. Right. Hezekiah spent all of his time and energy rededicating the people to God and barely escaped by the skin of, the, by the skin of his teeth did Hezekiah escape the full-blown Assyrian invasion. Yes. And Manasseh was not buying it. He did not think that this was a better solution. And so he rebuilds the high places. He goes in the exact opposite way. I'm going to serve all of these other gods of warfare because to him, it seemed like they would have a better chance at survival. Um, When God tried to speak to Manasseh through prophets, He didn't care. He wasn't listening. Eventually, we're told that the Assyrian military does come back to Jerusalem, and they take Manasseh away as a captive in disgrace. You know, they put a hook in his nose, they put bronze shackles around his feet, and they bring him back to the Assyrian Empire for essentially re-education. We're told, though, that while Manasseh is in Assyria, he realizes that he did this wrong. And he repents and prays to God. And so when the Assyrians allow him to come back to Jerusalem, he once again becomes faithful to the God of the Bible. He gets rid of idolatry. He rebuilds the wall of Jerusalem. So this is a really important story 
for the people that Chronicles is written to because they too had been taken away in disgrace to the empire of Babylon. While they're in Babylon, they have a resurgence of faithfulness towards God and now God has allowed them to come back to Jerusalem. So what are they going to do? First, they rebuild the wall. Then they rebuild the temple. Exactly what Manasseh did. Mm. So that's more than likely why this account is recorded for us in Second Chronicles, but not in Kings. wasn't as wasn't very important. No, it was not. But yeah, but very important here. Okay, Manasseh's son Ammon comes to the throne. He was bad news. He's very much like his father Manasseh. He only reigns two years before the people have had enough and his officials murder him. Chapter 34, Josiah, the eight-year-old son of Ammon, he's made king. He's a good king. He is faithful to God. He launches a campaign to purge the land. The law of God is refound. He renews the covenant. In chapter 35, Josiah also holds a Passover in Jerusalem. Josiah is such a good king. It's very sad how he ends up dying. Pharaoh Nico, um, from Egypt. From Egypt. He's marching out because at this point, it's, it's international politics are happening. And Pharaoh is marching out to this very famous historical battle. And Josiah is like, you can't march through my land. And he ends up dying in battle. Josiah, this really good king, dies in battle. And we, the prophet Jeremiah, non, um, just out of interest, records a whole um song of lament for Josiah because mm. he was such a good king. Chapter 36, Josiah's son Jehoahaz only reigns for three months uh, before the Egyptians march back from the battle uh, and they take him captive and they make a different son of Joash the king um, and they rename him Jehoiakim. So this tells us that Jerusalem has become an Assyrian vassal kingdom. Um, Jehoiakim, this Egyptian vassal, reigns 11 years. He was evil. Um, he doesn't stay an Egyptian king for long because the Babylonians march in. And so he becomes a Babylonian vassal. Uh, however, um, Jehoiakim rebels against Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and then dies. And his son Jehoiachin only rules three months in Jerusalem before the Babylonians take him hmm. to Babylon. So we see Judah in these last few kings being really involved in international politics and it's not going well yeah. for Judah at all. They get a king three months later, the king's gone to, you know, Babylon. They had a king earlier, gone to Egypt. So it's just, it's not going well. Nebuchadnezzar sets up Zedekiah as king of Jerusalem. He's from the royal line. But Zedekiah also ends up rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And this leads to the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians. Um, Second Chronicles ends with the record of many years later, the Persian Empire comes in and they take over Babylon. And that king, Cyrus the Great, issues an edict that allows the Judeans to come back to right. Jerusalem to rebuild. <clears throat> and this rolls into Ezra and Nehemiah. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. So we only have four chapters in Ezra, so we're just going to do them super quick. Uh, Ezra 1 opens with that same paragraph that Second Chronicles end, ended with, that Cyrus, the king of Persia, uh, released the exiles to come back to rebuild the temple. So we've got, in chapter one, we've got the family heads of Judah, Benjamin, and the priests and Levites uh, 
all preparing to return to Jerusalem and all the things that they're bringing back with them. In chapter two, we have 11 leaders of the exiles and a huge list of people who returned with them. Even though this is a really long list of people, it is a very small amount of the exiled people coming back from Babylon. A lot of the exiled people built new lives in Babylon and they just lived there and that was great for them. Uh, but the but it was just a small amount of people who returned. All right. Chapter three, <clears throat> the people had resettled in their own towns and their own homes, and then they gather in Jerusalem. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm still getting over a cold that I had. <laughs> okay. <coughs> so. They gather in Jerusalem and Joshua the priest and Zerubbabel the governor build the altar of God so that they can offer sacrifices once again. They begin to offer all the regular sacrifices despite being afraid of the people who are in the land of Judah and in the land of Israel. And despite the fact that the temple's not built yet. So they have no security. Right. They have nothing, but they want to start offering sacrifices to God. Chapter 4. We have, <coughs> excuse me, just one second. <laughs> Wish I could come over and pat your back. I but. know. I, I mean, this tea is not cutting it. I need no. some water with lemon or something. I did so well this whole time. Yeah, I know. Of course, it's the very last chapter. Just the last builds chapter the anticipation. Gets yeah. It gets you. Ezra chapter four. Here's where we learn about the enemies of those exiles. Uh, They don't like the idea that the temple is being rebuilt and they just, they try to stall it. They put roadblock after roadblock. They write letters to the new king of Persia and, and they end up succeeding and getting a stop work order for the temple. Right. So then the people don't know what to do. They're trapped here. Ezra chapter four, they came back to rebuild the temple. Now they can't rebuild the temple. So that is where our recap is going to end for today. A lot of history. I hope you're able to catch up. Let me know down below if you found, you know, one of your favorite things about Second Chronicles. If you have any questions or comments, pop those down there as well. I hope you have a really great week and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.